Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has all the odds, props, promos, and parlays you need during the bowl season in college football. 40 bowl games, a chaotic playoff picture that's going to have Michigan versus Alabama, Washington versus Texas, great college football on the way. You can use our promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V with the link in the description to this episode and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit over at Bet Online Sportsbook. Bet Online, where the game starts. Five weeks left in this NFL season. We have several players trying to put their stamp on this year's MVP trophy. Kyle Ledbetter, you believe that it is going to one man. What is your prediction for MVP this season? As of right now, that one man who is the front runner for NFL MVP is Dak Prescott. It's Dak Prescott, and I know that's kind of funny to think about, because the Dallas Cowboys are the Dallas Cowboys. I don't believe they've had an MVP since 1994, if I remember correctly, with Emmett Smith winning MVP. So, yeah, I think it's Dak Prescott, man. Dak Prescott has put together an incredible season so far. And it's it's so weird that that's happened, right? Because they got rid of Kellen Moore and brought in Brian Schottenheimer, which is hilarious. He was the... Uh, take away Russ's ability to cook guy in in Seattle. He was with the Jaguars with, I think, Gus Bradley or something like that. Like Brian Schottenheimer has become like a punchline of being conservative offensive play caller. I mean, he's not even really calling the plays. Mike McCarthy is doing more of the play calling duty throughout the season. And taking away Dak's ability to throw the ball down the field has actually made Dak into an MVP caliber player because of his running ability, because he's gotten lucky on some of the turnovers, but his middle of the field ability has been impeccable. And those receivers that I thought were going to be terrible at the start of the season have actually turned out to be great weapons for the Dallas Cowboys. I thought it was a mistake letting Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz leaving free agency and replacing him with the reject of Brandon Cooks. But Cooks has come in, and when he's been healthy, he's been fantastic this season. Jake Ferguson, as a tight end, has stepped up and looked fantastic for the Cowboys. Dak Prescott, since getting the break speed off him by the San Francisco 49ers, has 16 touchdowns, one interception. The Cowboys have won basically every game that they have played, and he has been the best quarterback in the NFL. Without a question, he was the the offensive player of the month in November. And as it stands right now, in a season that will go down as one of the weakest MVP winners of the last 10 years, Dak Prescott is the MVP. I just have one question. Are you out of your mind? Come on. (laughs) Dak winning MVP, Dakota Prescott. Someone named Dakota winning the MVP. Come on ridiculous he, he's he's been incredible he has been absolutely incredible this season and 
it wouldn't just be the, the the whole oh the Cowboys fan pushing the narrative of Dak. No, nobody has claimed the MVP this year. Nobody in the league has, has run away with the MVP. Patrick Mahomes threw a dumb interception to lose against the Packers. That never happens to Patrick Mahomes in a season where no one has jumped out and grabbed the MVP and ran with it like Mahomes did last year, like Aaron Rodgers did in in twenty and twenty one. Uh, Todd Gurley should have had in twenty eighteen. But besides the point, like no one has jumped out and grabbed it, and because it's just kind of sitting out there. Dak Prescott has come in and taken charge and established himself as the front runner for the MVP with 16 touchdowns, one interception and a passer rating over 110 over a not so insignificant sample size of six games. No one has grabbed the MVP and eh. Brock Purdy grabbed the MVP. I think at this current moment in time, as it currently stands, I've heard Chris Broussard throw out this term quite a few times on the odd couple, but the Dallas Cowboys really have beaten up on tomato cans. The Carolina Panthers, the New York Giants, all these scrubs that the Cowboys have risen to the top point differential in the league with are just not going to be there whenever January football rolls around. And I, I think Dak inflating his numbers by beating up on these teams is honestly irrelevant because I judge you by whenever you play the cream of the crop. And Dak threw multiple interceptions in that game against the 49ers. He could have probably been picked off several more times in that game. He looked terrible. Meanwhile, Brock Purdy in two games against the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, he's thrown 70% completion percentage and eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mr. Relevant is very relevant in this year's MVP conversation just based off what he's done against the best teams in the league. And yeah, they had that three-game stretch, which was, was pretty ugly, but since the bye week, He's had a literal perfect passer rating against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had that one game against the Cardinals where he had one incompletion. He just keeps finding new, interesting ways to just put himself into this MVP conversation. And yes, everyone will say he's a product of the cast of talent around him, but I have never seen a quarterback expertly distribute the ball like he does. He just puts the ball always in the right spot. And I think just based off the head-to-head, And based off the head-to-head of the Eagles beating the Cowboys, we'll see if that still stands after week 14. I think that Brock Purdy is currently ahead of Dak at this moment. I will not dispute the Brock Purdy MVP point because Brock Purdy very much deserves to be second place in this MVP conversation. It, It realistically is those two. Patrick Mahomes has the statistical case for it. I don't think they'll give it to him in a year where Kansas City is going to finish with its worst record in the Mahomes era. Therefore, I think by proxy they're not going to consider him as an MVP finalist even though his numbers bear out that he's an MVP finalist for the same reason Josh Allen isn't like Josh Allen's third in QBR this year behind Dak and Brock Purdy but they're probably not going to give it to Josh Allen because the Buffalo Bills have found ways to piss away all these games and and might end up missing the playoffs so by proxy I think that's fair like we've decided this is the exit ramp of like if you don't win enough games you cannot win MVP and all that stuff And, and it's fair that Dak Prescott's worst game of the season and really his only bad game of the season. I mean, I'm looking at the, the the stats for Dak Prescott all year. The only game this year where he had a below average NFL passer rating. Uh, well, really, he had two. He had one against the Vikings where he had an 81, which is slightly below average. But his only bad game this year was against the, the 49ers. Every other game, he's been an above average to great NFL quarterback. And, and Brock Purdy's one bad game happened to be against the Cleveland Browns. And that stinks for him. His one bad game happened to come against Cleveland 
Meanwhile, Dak's one bad game came on primetime against the San Francisco 49ers. And, and meanwhile, you know, Brock Purdy's game, most people didn't have that as their national game of the week. So that'll work in favor of Brock over Dak because of the head to head. But I think that Dak Prescott, look, you talked about them beating up on terrible teams. In what world did the Philadelphia Eagles become a bad team? Because in that game, Dak Prescott had 374 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero INTs, and a passer rating of 115.2. I'm not sure when the Los Angeles Rams became a bad team. I know their defense is their shortcoming, of course, but the Rams are 6-6 six and six team where Dak Prescott completed 80% of his passes for 304 yards, four touchdowns, an interception, and a 133.7 passer rating. I don't know when the Seattle Seahawks, the defense everyone was gawking over at the start of the season, became a bad team because the Seahawks game, Dak completed over 70% of his passes for 300 yards, three touchdowns, and 116 passer rating. Like, he has played some bad teams, understandably. But against the good teams he's played, he's also been an MVP-level quarterback. At this point, it does feel like it is between Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott because Dak will have the statistical case. But I'm also thinking about, last you mentioned, going back to the win-loss records and everything. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers the one seed? both years that he won the MVP, given that's the case, you know, 13 and three, both seasons. If the Cowboys were to happen to fall to the wild card behind both the Eagles and Cowboys, I think it would be hard to make a case that he's above those quarterbacks, especially if let's say the Niners never lose another game the rest of the season. And Purdy just continues to put up the numbers that he's putting up, right? Because he's actually on pace to break Jeff Garcia's franchise passing record this season. He's on pace to match Steve Young's 49ers all-time passing touchdowns mark of 36. If he hits both those marks for the most storied quarterback franchise or one of the most storied quarterback franchises in the National Football League, then it's going to be a hard case for Dak Prescott to overwhelm because Again, the narrative's out there just beating up on these weaker teams, these middling teams. And obviously, the Cowboys are a little bit of a different kind of offense, right? They're more pass happy. So they're, of course, going to put up more gaudy numbers in terms of the passing numbers. But I think Brock Purdy's like efficiency is where I think I really give him like the edge, just like everything he's doing. And then he's leading the league in like air yards, his yards per attempt. He's just doing everything at such a phenomenal pace. You mentioned they're telling Dak literally to not throw the ball deep. Purdy's airing it out. Like he had that 77 yarder to uh, Ayuk recently, the 66 yarder to Kittle, the 44 yard touchdown in quadruple coverage against the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday night. Every time we talk about an MVP or a Heisman, you know, these top tier individual awards like in football, we always like say, okay, that's the Heisman moment, right? Like Bryce Young against Texas last year, whenever he had that incredible escape from the pocket to throw the ball and find a guy and give set them up for the game-winning uh, field goal, I believe. That was like his Heisman moment. Brock Purdy, the fact that he's been able to stunt on both the Cowboys and Eagles, that's his MVP moment. Like if there's like two examples I could point to, and I don't think Dak is really going to have like those shining examples to point to. You mentioned Okay, putting up 80% completion percentage against the Rams. Neat. If they happen to go in and beat the Eagles this week and Dak really outshines the Eagles, maybe. But if they ultimately lose the division, I think that his team's going to work against him in that respect. Because again, the numbers are going to be comparable, but the team performance won't be. 
I think that that is a fair point. And and my argument is not we should look past the Dak Prescott playing like crap against the San Francisco 49ers game at, as his one bad game. The, the flip side to that and why hopefully the people who the 50 people who are voting will see through the the air on the bullshit around the narratives and the Cowboys playing the easy opponents and stuff like that. The the point that I would make to that is like we shouldn't also look past how bad Brock Purdy played in that three game stretch where Trent Williams was hurt and Brock Purdy may or may not have been concussed like Brock Purdy had the worst game of his season against Cleveland potentially cost them the game in that Cleveland game when he was trying to lead a comeback against the Vikings he threw two interceptions one of which was his fault one of which wasn't but he threw two interceptions at the end of that game in crunch time to seal the loss against Minnesota yeah the Bengals game like it was a rough fourth quarter for him admittedly I still say that the Bengals player on this first interception made a great play the second interception was pretty bad and I will give that Um, but you know obviously Dak is nothing above bad interceptions himself I just think that you're judged in MVP seasons more so by the big games the games that matter in terms of uh, playoff seeding and who's going to get ultimately get that bye week win their division win your conference and I think when you're going against the head-to-head because The fact that the Eagles, Niners, and Cowboys will have all played each other, I think is a unique dynamic in this conversation because we literally seen these two teams, as Hassan Reddick put it, lace that shit up and play. The Niners have laced that shit up and play, and they beat the brakes off both the Cowboys and the Eagles, and Brock Purdy has been right at the center of that action because, again, yes, he distributes. Yes, he's a point guard, but would we take away any MVPs from Magic Johnson? No. He may be a product of the system, but he damn well makes the system great. I saw someone use the soundbite of James Harden saying, I'm not a system player. I am the system. Brock Purdy has really made this system his own, and he's excelled within it. And I think that deserves a lot of credit. Yes, and it's why I'm not. If if this is going to turn into a Dak Prescott versus Brock Purdy debate, which it's not, I think Brock is right there with him. It's it's a deadlock tie right now on the statistics, basically. Brock Purdy should not be punished for playing for a really, really good team. Want a fun stat? Throw it at me. Last year's MVP, of course, Patrick Mahomes. We know how great of player he is, right? Versus Brock Purdy this year. So obviously Brock Purdy, he's judged harshly because yards after catch. And hey, Debo made two outstanding yards after the catch touchdowns yesterday. No disputing that at all, right? Well, in his MVP season, Patrick Mahomes, his yards after the catch, 54% of his total yards. Brock Purdy, his yards after the catch this season, 48%. It's clearly not all yards after the catch. And I think more people have to start recognizing that because I don't, I feel like people like they look at Purdy's box score and they don't really like do the work of watching him play. And thankfully he's been on prime time enough times at this point to where people can actually watch his game and start to appreciate a little bit more what he does. Because I think a lot of people think he's just checked down Charlie, but again, the fact that he's among the lead leaders in yards per attempt and air yards, should tell you a lot. He's a playmaker. He's willing to outplay the system at times. And that says a lot when you have such a great play caller like Kyle Shanahan that you're able to play outside the system. And sometimes Kyle Shanahan even has to say, yeah, I think some of the things he does are some of the worst mistakes I've ever seen. But God damn it, I love it when he throws touchdowns for me like he did in the Jacksonville game. He's had a couple of those bullshit touchdowns this year that have worked in his favor, which regardless of whether you take the the basic quarterback stats or whether you take the eye test, or whether you take the nerd stats, pretty much all of them will tell you it's Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy are neck and neck right now. Because if you take away 
Brock Purdy's worst two games of the season, which was the Browns game and the Vikings game. We'll take probably away those two. Put the Bengals. The Bengals game, I think, because he was actually I think he I want to say in the Vikings game, he threw for the most yards in his career at that point. I think he might have outdid himself in that Bengals game because he was throwing the ball a lot, but, but like points still standing. So if you take away the, the Bengals game and the Browns game from Brock Purdy and you take away the Niners game from Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott at this point in the season would have rushing and passing combined. He would have 26 touchdowns and three interceptions, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions. Brock Purdy, if you take away those two games, would have 24 touchdowns, three interceptions. Between the two of them, deadlocked. If you look at their QBR numbers thus far through the season, and we've laughed about this a little bit before we started, Dak Prescott, 75.6 QBR, first place in the NFL. Brock Purdy, 75.6 QBR, tied for first with Dak Prescott. They are deadlocked there. They are deadlocked in the they're, they're deadlocked in the the regular stats of touchdowns and interceptions and passer rating. They're deadlocked in QBR and they're deadlocked in record. If your wins are a quarterback stat person, which I am not, they're both nine and three. Both have a chance at getting the number one seed in the a, in the NFC. And I mean, like, so so you were talking about if the Cowboys end up in the wild card position, if the Cowboys at home beat the Eagles in a couple weeks, they will theoretically go 14 and three they'll have won their last 11 games of the season i want to say they'll have gone 11 and 0 to end the year and will have had either the number one or number two seed at that point i think it's going to be hard to deny dak prescott the mvp game how do you do in the arizona game i will look that up think about like other cowboys losses i mean losing to one of the worst teams in the league is probably also not a great thing for his mvp case as well yeah, he put up a 78 passer rating, which is one of the two games this season he had where he had a below league average passer rating, which in the same respect, Brock Purdy has had two games this season where he's had a below league average passer rating. So the two down games for Dak Prescott, according to passer rating, were the Cardinals and the 49ers. The two games below an a-, a league average passer rating for Purdy were the Vikings game and the Browns game. Okay. And you know, there you mentioned there are some other dark horse contenders out there. Can Mahomes just throw 15 touchdowns over the next five weeks and suddenly we're putting him back in that conversation? I don't see it this year just because the wide receiving group is just an absolute train wreck is, is something that we're kind of like learning as this season unfolds for the chiefs. Lamar, can he make his case? Well, Hey, Lamar and Purdy, they go head to head here in a couple weeks. If the Ravens finishes the number one seed and he's dominant the rest of the way, who knows, especially if he could get that big head to head victory against Purdy. I think head to head stuff matters. And I think that that's going to be one of those more highly watched games as we kind of like reach the season's final stretch of games. But who is your MVP? Dak, Purdy, Mahomes, anyone else that's kind of on the edge there? We'd like to hear where you're leaning. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. I was joking about this last night on the Niners post game show we do at the station or on their Instagram live. I was like, if the Cowboys went into Philadelphia tomorrow, I might make the Cowboys a one and a half, two point favorite.
at Philadelphia. Oh, I was listening to Philly Sports Talk, and the way they're talking about it, they don't really expect themselves to win next week either because they are so down on their own secondary after that game that they don't believe that they have any chance in hell of stopping C.D. Lamb. If you took the three great teams in the NFC and and took the six units, offense and defense, the worst of the six is Eagles defense with a smoking gun. I mean, between the Niners, Cowboys, and Eagles, the worst unit is the Eagles defense. Well, we learned that their linebackers just can't keep up whatsoever. They just get, don't have a single linebacker amongst a lot of them. Oh, but, 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 guess who just signed with them? Darius uh, uh, Shaq Leonard. <laughs> Shaq Leonard. Yeah, but I was actually reading some stuff from the Colts because I'm like, damn, why would they get rid of Shaq Leonard? Wasn't he such a staple for their team? And apparently just there's a lot of, He's washed talk because he was struggling to see the field amongst their linebacking group they have there. Yeah, there's there's a reason he was available, but he's going to make it better for the Eagles because the Eagles. Damn, who would have thought Edmonds and uh, who's the guy on the Cardinals? Like uh, Kaiser, who would have thought Kaiser White and Edmonds would leave and the entire defense would fall apart? And, and obviously Hargrave left, but they kind of got Jalen Carter. So that made it hurt a little bit less. But like, who would have thought those guys would leave and the whole defense would fall apart? For what it's worth, I mean, Jonathan Gannon also left. I mean, I know a lot of Eagles fans were roasting him for the Super Bowl, but they did have a change at coordinator. Yeah, that's fair. Man, Patrick Mahomes swiped their soul, man. That that second half of the Super Bowl just swiped their soul. He played the perfect half and swiped the soul. Of well, it defense. definitely exposed them because the Chiefs, what they did was just a ton of motion. And I obviously, you look at what the Niners were able to do, just gain them so off platform yesterday. Hassan Reddick, people were joking about him being in like a spin cycle whenever um, that play to Debo, right? where it was that double reverse and just you see Hassan Reddick just turn and fall down, like seeing Debo run into the end zone. That was embarrassing. And hey, shout out to Debo for living up to his trash talk. I mean, damn, that's a statement and a half. Yeah, it's um, thing you posted that he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he called their corner trash, showed up in black Air Force Ones and dropped 130 yards and three tutties on them. That's 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 what you do if you're going to talk trash, right? <laughs> like that yeah, Michael is. Jordan energy of I'm going to talk shit, but I'm also going to back that shit up. Yeah, that was legendary. This is best game of the year. I know it this might... he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> Dare I say it might be his best game as a Niner ever. Like he's had some impressive ass games as a Niner. Don't get me wrong. But given the offseason talk, given every single podcast getting asked about the Eagles time after time after time, it would have been very easy for him to show up and post a four for 30 stat line. No, no, he was not having any of that. The Niners made a point. You're going to be a big part of this game plan. And he showed up. So that that was legendary by Debo Samuel. Um, You know, it was a great game. Like it was signature game for everyone on the Niners. It was a statement game. Uh, We talked about another video, what it meant for Brock Purdy, him being in the MVP conversation. Christian McCaffrey coming out, had a big game. And, you know, for Kyle Shanahan, this had to feel good because, you know, he scripted up some plays in the last year's NFC Championship game, had to just throw out his entire script as soon as Brock Purdy got hurt, as soon as Josh Johnson got hurt. Just the fact that he got to actually use his playbook, get some stuff off his chest. It, I mean, it felt good for me as a fan, like as you as an unbiased spectator. What do you think watching that one? It was amazing, dude. Like, so 
We'll talk about the football side because there's another thing that I want to spend like an hour talking about that is kind of football-y related. It, it involves Dom DeSandro, but, but from the football standpoint, like, so the Philadelphia Eagles were in the first quarter, they had what, 120 something yards of offense compared to negative six for the 49ers. Yeah. The time of possession was like Niners, two minutes, one second, Eagles, 20, uh, 12 minutes and 59 seconds. And the Eagles had the ball to start the second quarter. So like the Eagles had a few extra, you know, moments in time of possession in there. So like when Philadelphia does that to start the game and yes, it's six zero, and yes, it's into the second quarter, but Philadelphia does that. And the Niners, I mean, they get their their third possession early in the second quarter. And what's crazy is that they turn the ball over so quick that they're still on the scripted plays by Kyle Shanahan. And when the scripted plays kind of kick off, it's kind of crazy to think about how they just march right down the field on the next drive. They had a, a, a Kittle route that was like kind of a wheel route, but not a wheel route. He just cuts up the sideline. It goes for 33 yards and just the Eagles like forgot to cover George Kittle in their zone. And they just found a soft yeah. spot to get first and goal. Like it was, it was incredible to watch from that point forward, that Niner offense, just pick apart the Eagles defense in the same way that Dak did at the end of the game uh, a few weeks ago. I know they got down by like 21. So it was kind of a futile effort, but like Dak charging back at Philadelphia a couple weeks ago, the way that Kansas city did in the super bowl, uh, we talked a second ago about how many people fell apart from the Eagles defense, but like the uh, Kansas city played a perfect half. I, I keep citing the stat. Ed Warner brings it, brought it up at the time, Kansas city in that second half, that Super Bowl had zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero punts, zero sacks allowed. The only incompletion was a throwaway. They pitched a perfect half of football against that Eagles defense. And you mentioned motion. That's kind of been the, the name of the game for teams to, to counter the Eagles. It's why you, you would make the argument for the Cowboys using more motion in their offense. The Cowboys are not at the top of the league in using motion. Meanwhile, Kansas City is fourth in the league in motion, and the Niners are second only behind Mike McDaniel, who comes from the same motion-based offense from Kyle Shanahan. I mean, some people think of him as the yeah. disciple of that. So, like, yeah, motion-based offense and picking apart the, the middle of the field for the Eagles has absolutely been the name of the game. And, I mean, Debo Samuel just outran dudes. Like, it was crazy <laughs> to watch Debo Samuel outrunning dudes in that Eagles secondary. It, it's funny with Debo sometimes because I watched that guy and the reason he was available in the second round, because I think if you did a redraft Debo Samuel would have been a first round pick, right? Right. Yeah, right. For sure, for sure. Yeah. The reason he fell to the second round is because he wasn't like the fastest guy, but when you, when you watch him play his breakaway speed in games is amongst the upper echelon of like the national football league. Like he just has such a way about hitting that accelerator at the right time. And whenever he sees a hole, he's gone. And it, it's one of his shining characteristics as a player uh, among his toughness. And I think the Niners, what they really did was just that toughness. Because you, you talked about the like plays to Kittle. Kittle had a play in there where he ran over like three guys too. Like he could have avoided contact, but he said, you know what? I'm going to drive this Eagles defender back 10 yards with me. Oh, yeah. And Jawan Jennings, his touchdown, right? Whenever he just straight up olayed the guy was impressive, but it even goes to the quarterback because there was a run by Brock Purdy in that game where he shook off two Eagles defenders on his way to at least gain a positive net play out of play that should have essentially been nothing. The Niners just straight up out physical them. And that's why I think the Niners, 
even if they don't get the one seed, which it would suck if they didn't get the one seed. Yeah, they would have to go back to the elements, potentially go back to Philadelphia, outdoor stadiums, all that stuff, which traditionally California teams don't do well. But the Niners are built in such a way that they transcend that. It, go back to the Green Bay Packers game at Lambeau a couple years ago, um, 2021 playoffs where they managed win on that walk-off field goal. They were more equipped for the elements than the Packers were. That's what the this Niners team shows time after time after time again. And they're on a different level right now than every other team in the league. And I try not to gloat. I try not to get too high on it because obviously I recognize that I have a bias when talking about the Niners. But this is just a damn good football team. Every level of this team, maybe except the offensive line, but the offensive line did just enough. Clearly, Kyle Shanahan has found a way to hide the offensive line, to bury them a little bit, because you didn't see Brock Purdy touched but two times in that game. Two sacks to Brock Purdy. Like, given what the Eagles' pass rush is, the fact that they were able to protect Purdy to that extent says a lot about some of the stuff that they're dialing up to make sure that the offensive line is almost a non-factor. And the fact that they were just able to dominate them too, rushing to the left side tells you they know where their strengths are and they know where their weaknesses are and they know how to hide their weaknesses, which I think is a thing that good coaching does. It hides your weaknesses and it amplifies your strengths. I'm going to throw out a stat that is pretty incredible, but we don't think about all that much. In regular season games in which both Trent Williams and Christian McCaffrey play for the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers are 19 and 0, 19 and 0. This team is incredible with the offensive line protection that they have, rebuilding the offense. You know, we used to I, I've said this before and it's it's good to reiterate again especially after a game where they score six touchdowns on six consecutive possessions and have uh, I mean, essentially three, four different players scoring touchdowns at the end of that game with with Jawan Jennings and Christian McCaffrey and and Ayuk and uh, Debo's three touchdowns. Like we used to think, Shanahan just brought in rando running backs and it transformed their offense. No, this is the Christian McCaffrey run based offense with Trent Williams protecting Brock Purdy's blind side and having Aaron Banks and just a decent offensive line around the greatest offensive lineman, maybe in NFL history. It has transformed what the 49ers do on offense gives so much time. The offense incorporates motion. They get 10 points on all the scripted plays that Shanahan runs basically every week. And against subpar defenses, 30 points is a given whenever the 49ers play and have Trent Williams and Christian McCaffrey on their team. And, and talking about the blocking as well, I just also got to give such a shout out to Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle. Some of those blocks, like nerding out about like football, nerding out about like blocking is not sexy. It's not something that people typically do. But like you look at some of the biggest plays the Niners did and you just see George Kittle taking on two, three guys and every like other wide receiver just taking their job seriously and like blocking downfield. That's why just big chunk play after big chunk play. That's what I think they expose most about Philadelphia, that those like corners, they can't hold up like whenever they have a guy coming up after them to just take them out of the play, right? Take them out. I don't blame anyone from running away from when Trent Williams running at you. Remember the Jaguars player that just straight up ran away from him? I get it. Trent Williams is a scary man when he's coming after you. So yeah, I can't diminish anything that Trent Williams brings to this team. It's just obviously, again, we know besides him, you mentioned Aaron Banks. Aaron Banks is solid, but besides those two, I don't really have a lot of faith of anyone else on the offensive line. But again, 
They bury them. They mask them. They bring in George Kittle. They tell George Kittle to stay in. And the great part about that is every now and then George Kittle could just dink people into thinking, oh, is he going to block? Is he going to block? No, he's just going to go out there and just give uh, Brock Purdy an open player in the flat that's going to run for 20 yards. You know, that's just the great part about this offense. The versatility of each piece makes them extra tough to guard. I don't know what the hell Debo is going to do when he's doing that orbit stuff in the background where he's just walking, running around, running around in circles. And then next thing you know, he's just running down the field for 20, 30 yards. Like that's when I thought felt they were the most deadly when they were doing that orbit stuff. It has the vibe of that Baltimore Ravens team from a few years ago, or or even like Kansas City 2020 type stuff where it's like, you are hoping to limit them to field goals. Like if you can limit them to field goals, you have a chance, especially if you have a great offense, but they they haven't made very many mistakes when Trent Williams and Christian McCaffrey are in there. And Brock Purdy's playing at an MVP level, and that'll work in the 49ers' favor for the time going forward. I do want to focus in on the Eagles real quick because the Eagles did do a couple things pretty well in the in the midst of getting tossed around like ragdolls in the second half on defense. When they were down 21 to 6, this was mm-hmm. right at, uh, after the Dom DeSandro fight on the sideline. They had a third and 10 at like the 12 yard line where the Niners blitzed six and Hertz was able to get the ball to AJ Brown and they picked up the first down and they did two tush pushes and they got in our brotherly shoves and got in the end zone. And yeah. that was something that was interesting because the Eagles had not really done that well. I mean, all teams this year had not done well against the Niner blitz package. I mean, when you're talking about a defense that, that can blitz uh, Fred Warner or bring in a, a corner off the edge and, and rush at the passer like that, that is a, a game changer for the 49ers defense in addition to all those guys they have on the defensive line. I hear what you're saying there, but also at the same time, I hated the blitz call a little bit there because it did remind me a little bit of Minnesota where, of course, all out blitz, Jordan Asson takes one to the house. Like Steve Wilkes at times, it feels like he's dialed up blitzes at the wrong time. And full admission, I thought that the Dre Greenlaw uh, Dom DeSantis thing too was just going to be the death note for the Niners. I thought that that had shifted momentum and again that's why i ended up leaving more impressed with this game because to have like such a emotional moment in a game usually can cripple a team but it just made the niners offense more resolute uh, coming back on the very next drive and then you have the big debo samuel touchdown play and then the niners defense after that drive it was over it was all she wrote like they did not mess around they managed to get Jalen Hurts to roll outside the pocket and just look uncomfortable all day. Like normally when a quarterback rolls outside the pocket like that, I'm thinking, ah, shit, someone's going to get open downfield. Someone's going to get open downfield. But no, it didn't happen. You know who's been stepping up surprisingly? The Niners secondary. The Niners secondary has been stepping up. Javarius Ward, he did a great job on DK Metcalf last week. He did just enough against A.J. Brown, except early on. A.J. Brown looked like pretty good early on. They were doing a lot of quick slants. And it was starting to become a problem. But in the red zone, shut that shit down. Uh, Charveris Ward, two big pass breakups there. Demo Lenore, he's coming up big. He had a huge hit on DeAndre Swift late in the game. And then Ambry Thomas. This is a guy that was relegated to the bench. No one wanted to hear his name. People basically thought he was a bust. Third round pick out of Michigan. And Ambry Thomas is here. Stepping up, making big plays. I think he had one career interception coming into the season. I know he's had multiple in the last few weeks, and he's had a few almost 
even more so in the last few weeks. Ambry Thomas has really been stepping up ever since they benched Oliver. And I, I think that that is one of those things coming out of the bye week that doesn't get talked about enough, but deserves more credit because it seems like Steve Wilkes, whatever coaching he's done for Ambry Thomas, I think it's worked. I, I think it's shown that Steve Wilkes has really got with his DB room and he may have fixed Ambry Thomas. And if that's the case, even more dangerous. If the Niners are getting coverage sacks mixed with their defensive line, mixed with their front seven, forget about it. There's some debate about the the results from the corners for the 49ers in this game. Because like there were times where where Traverius Ward and Ambry Thomas were getting cooked. They were getting cooked by those corners. Early on, receivers. early on, certainly between the 20s, it was not looking great for them. But in the red zone, again, Traverius Ward, Mooney Ward came up with some big pass breakups there. He was all over A.J. Brown in legal coverage, too. So you got to give him credit for that one and then yeah the final stat lines are going to look amazing for Devonte smith and aj brown but come on we we know that that was a lot of stat padding late we know that you could take off at least 50 60 yards from each of their stat lines of the actual game that mattered it mattered to you if you're a fantasy owner but aside from that in terms of the actual game result a lot of aj brown and Devonte smith's stat lines didn't really matter to the game the thing that i think is more interesting beyond like because moody ward had a couple great plays for the for the 49ers in that game and Ambry Thomas stuck to his man and sometimes when you don't hear a person's name for a while that's sometimes good because they're not going that direction in the passing game and they stuck him on a lot of Devonta Smith and that was a was an interesting choice defensively by Steve Wilkes but the thing I think was more interesting and will be like indicative of them going forward is that the most snaps on the team for the 49ers was a tie at 72 between Demo Lenore and Charvarius Ward Ambry Thomas was on the field for 69 out of 72 snaps. Like the 49ers are thin in that cornerback room. And, and it sucks again that they lost Hufunga for the season and Jair yeah. Browns had to step up as well. But they are thin in that cornerback room and they're they're putting a lot of that burden on Traverius Ward, which again isn't a, isn't a huge problem. It's just more of a note that will be interesting going forward. They they're gonna need Ambry Thomas to be not a top of the league like one of the top ten, but they're gonna need him to play like a starting NFL corner pretty consistently for the rest of the season and that's not the best bet in the world now granted given everything else they have on defense with Kinlaw and and, uh, Hargrave playing excellent on the interior Young has been a a phenomenal pickup like most of us knew it was going to be their second unit of pass rush is better than a lot of teams first unit of pass rush so like saying that their second corner needs to continue playing like a starting NFL corner is as a small thing to hold against them but it will matter if they get into one score games at the end of the game because we know Kyle Shanahan is not great at uh, at getting leads when it's a close game and holding on to them, especially if they are going to play a team that can win the time of possession battle because that's ultimately the thing that works great for the Niners is that they win time of possession a lot. I mean, if you take away from, from the second quarter until garbage time at the end of that game, which was like a 29-minute stretch in the middle of the game, I think the Niners, they were plus 12 in time of possession in the 39 minutes between the start of the second quarter and like five minutes left in the fourth when garbage time <laughs> kicked in. They were a plus 12 in those 39 minutes yeah. in time of possession, which is a huge deal. And it keeps your defense off the field and gives Dima Lenore and Traverius Ward and Ambry Thomas time to rest and recover and give their best when they are on the field. I mean, hey, if anything does happen in the corner room, Niners fans, be assured 
we'll see Deontay Johnson get re-signed and maybe even Josh Norman come back. So we we have enforcements. We have enforcements on the way. Richard guys. Sherman off the couch, off the desk, off the couch. Richard Sherman coming back. <laughs> I I take Uncle Sherm, right? You know, I, I still think that we should have gave him a Super Bowl trophy in 2019. Oh, well. But then again, he also did get cooked by Sammy Watkins. So that was partially why they didn't end up winning that Super Bowl. It was just an all around impressive performance, offensively, defensively, special teams didn't blow it. Coaching wise, everyone seemed to be all together. And, you know, hey, again, another shout out to Steve Wilkes moving from the booth down to the field. That seems to be have been the magic wand that this defense needed because they've been shut down every step of the way since. So, hey, I I credit, again, the Niners top to bottom for being able to recognize their weaknesses, amplify their strengths, and just keep double downing on beating some of the best teams in the league. Let us know what you thought about the Niners-Eagles game in the comment section. Leave a like in the video. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.